Broadcasting from another dimension. Deep within the Ghost Shrimp National Forest. Sending you secrets from the future directly into your motherfucking mind. <laughs> you know what time it is. It is the Ghost Shrimp and Friends Podcast, episode 40. Y'all better be drinking a 40 ounce of beef stew when you listen to this episode. <laughs> that would be insane. Uh, well, maybe some OE. You know, we used to we used to hit the OEs pretty hard. We used to do the Steel Reserve Challenge, two for three dollars. I think I actually only did that once because uh, you don't walk for a while after that. The Steel Reserve is the heavy stuff. Um, uh, we have a very, very juicy episode. God, this pod, man, if I didn't, if I didn't make this podcast, I would be psyched as fuck about this podcast because we bring the heavy hitters, you know what I'm saying? Uh, today's special guest is none other than Hollywood A-list director, Mr. Big Shot himself, Mark Osborne, director of Kung Fu Panda, starring Jack Black and The Little Prince, the adaptation of the of the classic children's book. You know what I'm saying? This guy, Mark, is is a human. I'm pretty sure he's a human man. <sighs> He's not an alien that we've ever seen, but he does live in Hollywood. Has he been replaced by a replicant? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Anybody that's been in Hollywood that long, are they really still human? Right now, we're trying to figure that out about his brother, Kent Osborne, who's our new neighbor up the street. This has been a whirlwind couple of weeks. Kent moved in. Up the road, we've been biking up and down the road, having fun, finding dead bodies in the woods. Um, and then the Ghost Scout Summit happened. Oh my god, everybody listening to the podcast heard all about that. Um, I think the the pod the posse podcast was one of the greatest things to ever happen to this podcast. Uh, there were so many spooky stories on that podcast. It blew my freaking mind. So if anybody, for some reason, has not heard that podcast, go listen to it. Uh, it's pretty much just what being a Ghost Scout feels like. So if you ever wondered, hmm, wonder what it feels like to be a Ghost Scout, listen to that podcast. You're going to get a big old helping of Ghost Scout stew on that shit. That is that was a real treat. You know, around here, we have a little fun. We say, that was a real treat. You know what I'm saying? You know what else is a real treat? This juicy old cup of coffee I got going here. <sighs> Sometimes there's nothing more refreshing than a piping hot cup of black coffee. You know, that's what gets me started. In the morning and, hey, sometimes in the afternoon. I'm staying up late tonight. I'm be watching game four of the NBA Finals and doing a little 
Beehive Boy comic action. Ba 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 I'm gonna be doing some behind the foreskin uh, documenting of the Beehive Boy comic that I've been working on lately. So you can look forward to that. There's tons of behind the foreskin stuff on the Patreon. Um, from the sum, summit, 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 <laughs> I film so good stuff, uh, eating beetles, uh, Kent, uh, half naked in the pond at midnight, swimming around, getting in a paddle boat, uh, Dick whiskey, snatching frogs out of the water. I mean, we have some fun over here in the Goshrip National Forest, guys. If you want to take a gander at it, head on over there, um, there's more to come. I got a great uh, episode going up tomorrow of the hike we took on during the weekend of the summit. And then a little bit of a couple more episodes on the cool down as people return to their civilian lives. Uh, but we had such a great time. So uh, the last couple of weeks have been super fantastic, super inspiring. As always, you know, you want to live that life that is filled with the things that interest you most and inspire you the most that get you fired up the most. Because that is what being a human being is all about. Um, let's see, what else? The Saraswati posters are going out in the mail. I uh, signed them up. They are getting in the tubes and they are headed in your direction so keep a lookout for the saraswati posters i think they point they 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 printed them on even thicker stock than well they definitely did i i don't know if they made the mistake or if i they made the mistake but norm the other posters have been on 10 10 point can i even talk anymore 10 point card stock but these ones are even Thicker. These are the girthiest old posters that you're ever gonna hang on your wall. You know, you could you could uh, eat a eat a eat a whole meal. You could be at a barbecue buffet, okay, and take one of these posters and fill it up with food, and you could eat all that. You could hang out. You could go and wash that poster in the sink, put it in the dish rack, run it through a dishwasher. You're going to take that thing out. It's going to be good as new. You're going to hang it on the wall. That thing's going to last forever. Have you ever wanted to live forever? Uh, become one of my posters because those things are going to live forever on your wall. You know, so if you didn't get yourself a Saraswati poster yet, mosey on over to GoshramGlobal.com and order it up because they are beautiful. They are thick. They are smooth. They are glossy. They are colorful. They will change your motherfucking life. You know, so um, go over there and do that up. I'm trying to think what else. Um, pretty much just doing the summit and hanging with my new best friend, Kent, and talking to his brother on this podcast. You know what? That's it. That's all there is to it. Uh, let's kick it over to my man, AWOL1, and get into this. Holla! But wait, there's more because I forgot to... Shout out the new Patreon members. Speaking of that old Patreon page, patreon.com slash goshrimp for all your Goshrimp and Friends podcast needs and uh, all your behind the foreskin exclusive behind the scenes look into what it's like. Living the life of a ghost shrimp. You know what I'm saying? Um, we got a big shout out going to Jesse Premier. 
<laughs> I probably botched that name. Jesse Primo, Jesse Premu, probably Jesse Premu, Premu, <laughs> Jesse Premu. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, that's the $2 pledge level. You get yourself an old shout out. Um, we also got a new $1 member. So shout out. And it's actually Max Wilkins' mom. So you get the free shout out, Max Wilkins' mom, Carmen Wilkins. Uh, pledged so she could see her son eat a beetle. She's probably horrified. He's like, I'm going to this artist residency, mom. And then there's videos surfacing on online of him eating giant beetles in the woods and drunken revelry. Good God. What is going on in this reality? Don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. Shh. Unless you hit that Patreon. So big shout out to everybody supporting the Patreon and keeping this podcast rolling and a flowing. All right, now let's kick it to my man A Wall One. I knew I had for forgetting something. <laughs> All right, here we are once again with Hollywood hotshot big time director Mark Osborne. How's it going, Mark? Good. How you doing? Fantastic. Cacao. Welcome Cacao. to the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast. Finally, I know. I know. It's. Uh, I'm very excited to finally be doing this. I'm sorry it's taken so long. Glad we're doing it. Yeah. 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 So you were here. Uh, what it was? It seems like forever ago, but it was like a week and a half or two weeks ago. Is that right? Yeah, a couple weeks. Yeah, and uh, we tried to do a podcast, but Kent was in full-on Infinity Crisis mode, uh, <laughs> trying to trying to find his his stuff, his his all his uh, all his worldly possessions that U-Haul uh, had lost and could not locate. So our our our, our t- podcast window quickly closed. Um, but uh, but glad to have you on, and everything's been uh, settled. But uh, how was it coming up here and moving Kent in, and and seeing your brother uh, jump into this wacky new phase of his life here back in Vermont, where you guys grew up? Uh, it, it was it was amazing, actually. I mean, I knew he, you know, I'd been up there to the camp, and it was really nice um, to go up that time i guess it was a couple years ago right you came up as a visiting artist uh yeah two two years ago for year five for the big blowout year five yeah and that was like yeah it was just amazing and it and it was like yeah it was just beautiful and i was really inspired by what what you were doing and so i was kind of amazed when kent bought a house (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was too i couldn't believe it i was like oh my god because he yeah. was looking for properties and I, and you know, I just kind of, my neighbors put that one up for sale. So I just sent that to him thinking that he probably wouldn't be into it. But then he was like, oh yeah, he's like really into it. And I was like, oh my God. And I still thought like, that's like too crazy. Like that's like too much of a dream that like that would happen. And then boom, it did. So I was shocked. Well, I've been like, I've been listening to the podcast a lot. I've been hearing you talk about ghost to me a lot. And, yeah, uh, total and ghost so, to me. yeah, just really confirmed uh, the supreme power that you and Ghost Scout Camp have 
I think this is Ghostini's biggest, biggest, uh, biggest, biggest evidence that Ghostini is real. This is it. You know, it's yeah. like we got to get ready to write the Ghostini Bible now because this is going to turn into a full blown <laughs> religion. <laughs> well, so getting up there was great. And I knew, like, I tried to help Kent. I went out to LA and helped him pack. Oh, okay. Because I moved recently. Uh, well, now it's, I guess, it's, well, a few years back. We did a huge move from um, New York to Paris, and so it was really stressful, and I had a lot of help. So when I heard he was moving, I wanted to help as much as I could, and I wanted to be up um, you know, up there when he got in, just like when all the stuff came in, just because I know how stressful it could be. But uh, it was doubly stressful because the stuff was like – we were imagining like it was like gone. <laughs> like yeah, it was like yeah. there was no way to track it. And so, yeah, he was kind of – yeah, he was kind of – stressing out about it but but it was so beautiful up there and and like walking around in his in his uh woods and like i don't know just like the weather was really nice except for the bugs in the evening but you know it was just like yeah it was a really nice way to come back to vermont and see you know kind of start to imagine what his life was going to be like yeah you know this new place yeah and it's amazing how quickly he settled in it feels like he's been here forever already now yeah, yeah, it had only been a few days, and he kept remarking about how how he felt like he'd been there for so long. Yeah, um, and uh, but I guess it's it's because he spent so much time up there already, and right, uh, yeah, went, yeah, coming the past three years for camp. The bartenders in town, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's going to definitely become a a, a regular, uh, you know, in town pretty quick because I, you know, coming from that LA lifestyle where you're going out a lot, there's only like a few places you can go out in town. So he's going to become very well known. Yeah. But it was cool. It's a, it's a really neat place. And, you know, uh, like I didn't realize, I guess I hadn't really seen the pictures. I didn't realize he had like a pond and he has like this, like this cool rock garden in front. And there's just a lot of neat things about, uh, his little domain. And yeah, the fact yeah, he's got those two great brooks, those ripping old thrashing brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and you got to hike around in his woods, right? You, oh, oh, he told that. I, I forgot I would have written this down, but I'm glad I just remembered. He said that you guys went up the hill. And you saw something very suspicious. You saw some trees that had been thrashed down. And, <laughs> yeah. and he said that you were really like, Kent, listen to me. Something's going on here. Like maybe some supernatural things have been going on there. What can you can you can you walk us through this experience you had? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I had seen your your behind the uh, foreskin uh, podcast where you where you went out with Wolfie and you were looking at the trees, the knocked down trees. Right, right. Very suspicious. So I think you kind of planted a seed in my, in my head. And so when we were walking around, yeah, there was like a lot of trees down. And in some spots it was kind of swampy. And I guess I didn't – I wasn't really paying close enough attention and that there was a massive storm that came through. So I kind of was like – you know, I figured you found a couple of trees. But we walked around his property and there were there was a ton of trees knocked down. But then we found this one spot where – the trees were like broken off about 20 feet in the air. They were broken off. It was yeah. so bizarre. And it was, a, it was like a dozen trees. And it, so, it, yeah, it looked like a, like a craft had come in or something. Wow. And, uh, 
yeah, it was really strange. So I, I tried to take a picture of it, but it's really hard to take a picture of it. Mm, and then, as with all supernatural phenomena, that's how you know it's <laughs> real. If you can't get a picture of it and document it, you know it's real. Well, it was. It just. And then we sat. And then we found like there were some other trees that were similar to those that were broken off, and they looked like they were kind of dead, except for the very, very top, and they had just a few branches at the very, very top. So then I started thinking like. And then there were some that were kind of dead and, and like I knocked one over. I could like push it over. I think they were like maybe rotting inside or they had bugs that had attacked them. So they were kind of weak. Or what about this? Or what about this? What if a craft swooped through there when it was done thrashing my forest? They knew that Kent was also coming here and also involved in the podcast, also want to <laughs> silence Kent, so they gave him a warning. They buzzed through his woods, chopped down some of his woods, thrashed him down, and then some of the residual energy that was left from the supernatural experience, you might have absorbed some of that and got a sort of a, a Mark Hulk thing going on. When you pushed down that tree, you thought it was just dead, but maybe you were absorbing some of that extraterrestrial supernatural energy, bro. I did. I felt there was something coursing through me. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. Oh, it was, my uh, God. Well, that's thrilling. <laughs> you heard then, it here uh, first. Can't, Mark Osborne has a, a supernatural experience in Vermont right off the bat. That is, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't when I was a kid growing up. Yeah. It's pretty tame. Yeah. But this, this time... Now it's. I feel things are getting more supernatural these days. I feel like conspiracies are ramping up. You know, probably alien visitations are ramping up. I think everything is speeding up and and getting more intense these days. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Wow, that's incredible. What do you? What What are your What are your memories of growing up in Vermont? Uh. Yeah, I was. It's actually yeah. Uh, it's kind of coming back and hanging out with Kent's always like it's always a lot of fun and it just starts to like come, being back in Vermont. It, it was like yeah, I was starting to remember a lot and I think also hearing him talk to you and hearing him talk about growing up. But one of the things I think he even mentioned that was like true for me too was like I read a lot of Stephen King books in um, like in high school. Yeah, and I had already moved away from Vermont, but I imagined. All the Stephen King books I read, I imagined in our town in yeah. Woodstock. So, so I have, so it's weird. I have this sort of weird, mixed-up memory of my own childhood, and then like all everything that happened to people in Stephen King books. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I feel the same way. I always wonder if you don't live in New England, like, do they feel as real to you? Because grow if you grew up in New England and you like absorbed all that, all the Stephen King movies growing up and read the books when you got older and stuff, like it really felt like you were a character. Yeah. And I, w I would totally like, I remember, I remember reading it and I remember it would describe certain locations and I would just kind of, sometimes they weren't, they weren't, they weren't close enough to Woodstock, but I would just go, ah, I'll just pick that place. And I yeah. would kind of create a hybrid. But, um, but my, I think some of my, my strongest memories, we had this big red house that was up on a hill and we had a huge yard and we had a pond in the backyard and I think we had, I think Kent was talking about this too. We had seven acres. So it was mostly woods, but we did have like this big, like it probably wasn't that big, but it's, it just seemed enormous when, you know, when we were kids and, um, we would swim in the pond 
Actually, I remember we swam in the pond and it had the pond was like brook fed, so it wasn't swampy at all. It was like it was pretty nice. Not brook fed. It was um, what's it called? Like spring fed. Spring fed, like, yeah. And then um, when when we were littler, our dad had ducks. We had like uh, ducks, and so there were ducks in the pond. But then they, I don't know. We I guess we lost the ducks. Like some a fox got them, and eventually we didn't have ducks, and the pond was a lot cleaner. But I remember, um, I remember swimming in the pond, like never thinking twice about it. And I remember there were dragonfly shells, you know, like the those little like casings that get left behind when the dragonflies shed their exoskeletons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're like these little yellowy kind of. They look, almost look like they're made out of like really thin potato chip material. Yeah. But I remember, oh wait, I, slow down, dude. You're making me hungry. You're making me hungry. We're eating. <laughs> I'm getting. I got a taste for bug shells now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these, you probably would love these. Probably, <laughs> right. Well, have you tried those new dragonfly crisps? They're so good. <laughs> but I remember seeing. The, I would see those everywhere, and I never realized what they were. And I remember. I think there was one summer where I started to realize that they were like insects everywhere and in the water and and i remember getting really grossed out and then i didn't want to swim in the pond anymore oh really yeah like i, I kind of got really uh afraid of uh like bugs and I, I don't know i yeah i can't remember well there was we would take the dock like we had a wooden dock that we um could actually move off of it was weird it was like it was like mounted like a normal dock but you could actually take it off and like paddle around on it like it was a boat oh cool and i remember paddling around on the dock and and (laughs) we were on it we're having a great time and this giant beetle kind of like weirdly just came up from the depths and came up and got on top of the like floated up on top of the dock and it was like you could run to one side of the dock and then and like tip it and then run to the other side and tip it, you know, but it would always float, but you could kind of submerge parts of it. Anyway, this giant beetle came up and landed on the dock and we ran away from it to get away from it. So our end of the dock was like sinking and the dock with the giant beetle on it was like rising in the air. And I remember just being so freaked out that that thing was in the water and that it was like that. And I screamed and ran and and swam to shore, and I I don't think I swam in, in the in the in the pond ever again. Oh my god! What what was it about the insects? Was it just like a complete visceral reaction, or was there like, do you know what your worst case scenario like would have been? Like what what were you what were you scared of happening? I don't know. I think it was just this idea that my eyes like I had this awareness of this sort of like there's this other world that I've never noticed that right. I never thought of. And, and just that who knows what's lurking in the depths of this pond. And I don't know. It was just like, I, well, I don't know. Yeah. Some, somehow I just like, I was like, well, I don't need to do that anymore. Right. Like, <laughs> like in that, like in that opening scene of blue velvet where it goes underground and the insects are just chewing and mashing in the underground yeah. in the dirt. Yeah. I don't remember being like particularly, scared of insects or never like i you know what i mean like i wasn't I, it's not like i mean we were out in nature all the time i think i was afraid of getting stung by a bee like i remember i never got stung by a bee until like 
almost the end of high school. I really? managed to go my whole life without getting a bee sting. Oh, wow, that's crazy. I feel like it gets scarier as an adult if you've never been stung. Like, my yeah. wife has never been stung. And then you're like, am I allergic? Like, what's going to yeah. happen? You're, like, afraid you might die. When we were kids, we used to get stung. We were so rowdy. I used to get stung all the time. We would slap beehives and stuff. We would like we would like we would like try to get each other to go do stuff to beehives and like escape. Well, I my dad was really allergic and apparently he almost died oh once from bee sting. And he had like he got taken to the hospital and it was like just in the nick of time. And his dad was really allergic, so I think we were always afraid that I was gonna. And actually, I remember in high school when I finally got stung, I stepped on a bee in the yard and it hurt so bad oh i've done that i remember thinking like i was gonna die and i was like went in and i was telling kent i was freaking out and i just remember kent was like i was so scared kent was like hugging me and like holding me and like we were like waiting for me to die (laughs) oh my god that's that's epic dude that's so sweet and then it was fine i wasn't man it was like it was like uh my girl, right? Doesn't she die from a bee sting or whatever? Oh, shit, I Macaulay Culkin does or something. That was a <laughs> dude. That was a movie that that was a Macaulay Culkin movie way back in the day. Oh yeah, I guess it was like that. Wow, it's exactly yeah. like that. <laughs> I just re- I don't even remember it. I just remember that it was like I oh, think wait. him and his girl, and that- him and a girl are walking around in the woods, and I think she gets stung or he gets stung, and one of them dies. It's super sad. I can't remember. Oh, I have to. It's like it, it was like his. I think it was like his first movie of After Home Alone or something. He's like a little bit older. I could be a hundred percent wrong about this, but wait, I just had another memory of that house, and that was uh, um, sometimes in the summer we get really bored because we were we were way far away from town, and and I remember make we made water balloons once. I don't know if this was with Kent or might have been with my friend. Jason, but we made water balloons and we were up above Route 4, which was sort of like, you know, main route in and out of town. Mm -hmm. And we were up above and we were in the woods and I remember throwing water balloons at cars. Yeah, yeah. And one guy... Were you on a bridge or like up on a hill? Yeah, like up on a hill and we were like in the trees. Oh, you climbed up a tree. What's that? You were climbed up a tree or you were just like hidden amongst the trees? Yeah, like hidden amongst the trees, but we were like probably like there's a steep hill down to the road, probably about 20 feet, and we threw it. We nailed one guy's car right on the windshield, like, and he, <laughs> and, and he pulled up and he and we ran and hid even more in the woods. And he pulled up into the driveway and he was like shouting and trying to find us, and we were hiding. I was terrified, but when I think back to it, it's like the the, the there was a guardrail on the other side, but then there's like a huge steep drop down to like the river and there's trees and stuff, but it was so stupid to be throwing water balloons at a car. I know. Oh my God. Well, the water balloons are, I mean, that's definitely bad for, for like just startling value, which like, I can't even, I've never been hit by anything when I'm driving my car, but I can't imagine. But the same thing we used to do that constantly as kids, but we used to throw rocks at cars. One time I grew up across the street from this, from this hippie commune place where they had all this land and they had a giant garden. And one time me and my buddy Zach, we fill, we took his dad's 
army duffel bag, which is almost like a body bag. And we filled, we, we, we raided the garden and stole all these vegetables. I can't remember if I've told this on the pod or not before. We stole all these vegetables. And then we like hiked way back down to like where he lived, like across from his house, basically, which was really stupid. And just went a little bit down the road from that. And then we climbed way up, like 50 feet up into a tree so that people couldn't see us. Cause we used to get chased too. And we would right. just hear the cars and then we just drop the vegetables. And, and, <laughs> and since this was just around the corner from his house, um, we got a couple hits and we heard like the, and like someone yelling. And then, you know, the end of the day, we go through probably like half the bag or whatever. And then we, uh, we're like, all right, well, that's enough. You know, we, and we climbed down and we go back to his house and his mom was like, where were you guys? And we were like, oh, you know, nowhere, whatever. And, uh, and she's like, okay, well, a guy pulled in here and uh, he'd been driving along with his sunroof open and an apple had exploded on his head. And it was like, she said it was like mashed in his hair and everything. And he had, he had pulled in cause that was the next house on the street, which is so stupid. And then, and then they, he had called the police like from their house and stuff. And we were like, Oh, we don't know anything about that. But then later on, I forget how, but I think we were like, I don't know if we were going back. I don't remember what it was for, but he got, we were, we were going, we were hiking back to my house or something through the woods. Cause we'd always like travel through the woods and, uh, I feel like we still had the bag of, of vegetables with us. And the old, like, witch lady that ran the garden, like, caught him in the woods. And then we got in trouble for it. And then uh, our punishment was that we had to, like, turn compost and we had to make pickles. And we got to keep the pickles. (laughs) And we got to keep the pickles. So the moral of the story is if you get caught, get caught by hippies because because they don't really punish you. Yeah, I want to make pickles. Yeah, yeah, you have to wait a long time. It was like six months yeah. later or whatever, but they were good from what I remember. But yeah, I always remember that. But yeah, we used to throw. I we got and then later on we got we got in tr- the, we got caught by the cops a few times throwing like ice, like snowballs and ice balls at cars in high school. And we threw we threw chicken off of a bridge. We like raided a KFC buffet and like threw <laughs> threw chicken like two bags of two like two like paper bags of chicken off of a bridge onto cars in the night, which is like so oh. terrible. I just cringe. I can't believe nobody like we aren't responsible for someone dying. Yeah, because we did that all the time. And it's funny. My dad did that, too. Like he just wrote it. My dad's like he's retired and he's getting into writing now. And uh, he's always been into it, but he's doing a little more of it now. And he wrote a short story about getting caught by like a trucker throwing rocks at trucks like back in the day. I think that's like I don't know if it's a New England thing or if it's an everywhere Uh thing. But like that was like a very big part of childhood was like throwing shit at cars and then like (laughs) running away from like getting chased through the woods and being like so fucking scared, you know, like just like you're going to die. It's like insane though, because it's like on some level, it's like you're not thinking that there's a human being inside there or not something. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, this weird, this weird, I guess it's just like a kid thing where you just don't think shit through. And when that, I mean, I, that guy, that was the last time we did it. Like, that was the once and only time. Like, cause it was like, that was so scary that that guy was like looking for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you were smarter. We were just too reckless. We would just that would just hype us up even more. We're like, yeah, we fucking got away because no one ever <laughs> caught us. No, no person that we hit ever caught us. So, oh my god. 
But yeah, that was that was yeah all the way up through high school. Cause yeah, I remember the cops brought us all home. I had to wake up my dad and you know, like <laughs> look and tell him I just got arrested. We I mean, didn't arrest us, but they just brought us all home because nobody wow. got hurt. Cause then it was like the age of cell phones, and the cops would be there in like five minutes. That wasn't like a <laughs> that, that never happened when we were kids. Right. Like the first person you hit just fucking calls the cops on you. Goddamn, right. nar- goddamn narks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man do you have any other good memories of uh of growing up in well, vermont I was, trying, I was trying to think of spooky stuff too. oh yeah that's right because you were listening to the spooky because you're a supporter of the podcast and you had yes. heard the uh you heard our our uh spooky roundtable podcast from the summit <laughs> which got incredibly spooky like i could yeah. not even believe like the stories that got told like it started out with like Kent's silly stories and then like it just got it just went up and up and up and up and up until like it was like just like you know Tyler's neighbor might be hearing this and maybe trying to murder Tyler now like I feel like there's like I feel like there's this isn't the end we've heard of that podcast I feel like it's gonna come back around it's gonna be a follow-up yeah well I, I but I I guess i all along, I've been sort of thinking like, God, I wish I had ghost stories or, or UFO stories. Like, I don't really, I don't have any, um, and I, I kind of wish I did. Like, I really, I really want to believe kind of thing, and I really want to experience stuff, but it, I haven't. But I was thinking about the spookiest thing, and this was like more, more imagination than anything. But like, um, we had the summer program at our elementary school. It was, it was, yeah, it was like a, it was like a summer camp, but it was basically, I think it was just called playground. And it was like in the summer we would go to the elementary school and we'd hang out on the playground and, and every year they would get a 16 millimeter movie print and they would bring it like on the hottest day or whatever. They would, they would show us a movie and, I guess it was high schoolers who were running it. I don't know who was running it, but they they had a projector in the middle of the gym. Like imagine like a full size like gymnasium. I mean, mm-hmm. and in the middle of the gym is just a regular projector screen. Right. And um, and then they had like a sixty millimeter projector, and and they said they said oh they sent us the wrong movie. Like they were trying to get whatever Shaggy Da or whatever. But the movie that they showed us was The Blob. The, oh my like, god. And. And so they were kind of like, oh, yeah, they sent us the wrong movie. We're going to show it anyway. And I don't know how old I was. I must have been – I must have still been little because it scared the hell out of me. It was probably – I mean it was it, – it made such an impression on me that I like couldn't sleep for months. Oh, and my I would, God. And I remember, I remember having this really vivid dream of our – property was right next to a family the smiths and i remember and and so there's a lot of distance between the houses and i remember like getting we got a phone call in the middle of the night and it was mr smith and he was like hey, run run uh, it's coming and 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 he was like ah, and then oh, I, no. I looked out my window towards mr smith's property and it was the blob was like squishing through the tree the trees oh my god and, like, rolling coming down our hill and like our our yard was huge in my mind you know yeah and um and it was coming down and i just remember being mortified and like probably in my head it was as cheesy as the effects in that old movie but like i i would we would turn the hall lights on and i would sleep in the doorway and yeah I'm sleeping yeah 
Yeah. For months, months. That's so funny. Yeah, that, that reminds me of two things. One is that, yeah, when I was at a summer camp thing, they showed something Wicked This Way Comes, and that scared the shit out of me. I think there's, oh, like, yeah. a scene where, like, where, like, they go on the carousel and the guy, like, gets super old or something like that really fast. And it, like, scared the fucking daylights out of me. Like, it was stuck <laughs> with me forever. And then also yeah. I remember when when me and my friend, uh, me and my friend Seth, we used to always have sleepovers. And, like, and like when my when my younger siblings were born and my older brother moved out, I, I inherited my older brother's room, which was like half of a finished basement, but like everybody else was upstairs and I was down there. And I remember we watched the movie alligator and that fucking scared the shit out of both of us. And we had to like sleep upstairs and stuff. Like sometimes we'd get so scared at the movies we'd watch during these sleepovers that we couldn't sleep and we'd have to sleep like up in the hallway or something like, cause we couldn't sleep down in the basement. Oh, man, it's so funny when you're a kid and you get so spooked out. Yeah, and I like I remember seeing parts of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, with I, Donald Sutherland? Yeah, yeah, I don't think I could handle it. I think I stopped yeah. watching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because, and I love how low-tech that movie is, That too. would be a very scary movie for kids, just because yeah. of the pointing and that noise that they make. And it feels, yeah, it feels like something that could totally happen because it's, you know what I mean? Like, it just all feels so grounded, you know? Oh, my God. I know. I missed a golden opportunity when I lived in Hollywood. Uh, I was at the, I was, like, about to get in line for the ATM. And, you know, like, sometimes, like, you and a person arrive simultaneously. And they're like, who goes first? And you're like, go ahead. And I did that with Donald Sutherland. And then I thought, oh, my God, how incredible would it have been if I pointed and I was like, oh, if I did the invasion of the body snatchers at him, he would have been, like, blown away by it. We probably would have, we probably would have hit it off and been friends and my life would have been like totally different after that but yeah. i totally totally missed it it was my george costanza moment i thought of it like immediately afterwards and i was like damn it <laughs> it's like you then you start following him around you're driving around to try to, to try to recreate the moment somewhere else yeah 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 it's funny how you really do bump into people i saw gary oldman like lost on our street like walking around like walking back and forth and i was like behind the popcorn line of kirsten dunst at the arc light one time and like you just like randomly oh. see these people and you're like holy shit i oh i okay so here's my this is this i'm kind of embarrassed about because it was I, I was going to the arc light to see oh and uh, we'll say the arc light is like a is like a really fancy awesome movie theater in hollywood that that a yeah. lot of people go to it's like you get you get like your seats have like a number like tickets and stuff and like if you like they don't let people in late and stuff and they have like a restaurant you can drink there it's like super nice in, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, and it's the best place to see a movie in LA because yeah. the projection's great, the sound's great. And so I was running, I was running a little bit late, and I was going to see the third Lord of the Rings movie. And um, I'm gonna forget their names. I gotta look it up because um, I'm so I'm, I'm running late, and um, uh, <laughs> I gotta get their names. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, um, I have other ones too, but I can't remember the people's names, the other celebrities. I'm so bad at it. Well, I, I just I always say like, oh, it was the two lesser um, hobbits. Right. You know right, right. Uh, that they were walking out. They were they were leaving the movie theater, and it was, I was coming from the parking garage. It was like right at the edge of the parking garage, and um, and uh, so it it wasn't. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, now I'm looking up the Hobbit. It's one of the things. <laughs> well, Char- Charlie from Lost was one of the Hobbits, right? Charlie yeah. from Lost, yeah. Yes, yes. Was he one uh, of the ones you saw? Uh, yeah, it was him. Uh, wait, I should know this. Um, it was, okay, no, it wasn't Sean Astin. Uh, see, now I'm just looking at a bunch of names. Anyway, okay, so it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> so, but it's crazy because I'm walking out and it's two. Two hobbits are yeah. together. Yeah, and they're 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 trying to walk to their car, and I'm running to go see the third Lord of the Rings movie, and I was like, I was like, holy shit, you guys! That's so like, funny. I'm going to see your movie right now. You guys are awesome. And it's just <laughs> like, I couldn't help myself. Like normally, you like gotta try to play it cool, but I totally nerded out, and they were like, yeah, enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you so ever been now, now as a now as a big shot Hollywood director? Have you ever been like starstruck by any of the people that you're working with on a movie? Oh, every time, like cr- like crazy, like it's it's oh yeah, it's been really it's been really challenging to try to be professional and to try to like because uh, yeah, I get so I just get so like flustery, weirdly nervous, and um, yeah, because then you're sort of like their boss, right? You're kind of like t- talking to them and giving them direction, and you're like, oh my god, I'm like looking at this yeah. person. Well, I definitely have that mix of like, yeah, I'm I'm I kind of idolize, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of look. The reason why I'm hiring them is because like I'm in awe of their talent, and right, I'm like, right. and 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 so then then I just want to yeah, I want to kind of make them comfortable and I want it to be good and I don't want it to be weird. But at the same time, like there's part of me that's like freaking out. Um, and like when I, when I got to, I, the reason I signed up for Kung Fu Panda was because I was a huge Tenacious D fan uh-huh. and they, it was, as they developed that movie, there was specul there was, there was talk that it would be that they were trying to get Jack Black to play the Panda. And it was never confirmed and I felt like, you know, maybe he's not going to do it. And right around the time that they were asking me to join the project as a director, they actually, they finally got Jack to say yes. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard Jack was in it, that was like, that was the deciding factor for me because I was like, we can make, we can really kind of infuse some of what's great about Tenacious D. Like my love of Tenacious D, we could actually use that in, in, in sort of developing the movie. And I gave all the story artists um, CDs like live CDs of uh, Tenacious D in concert, and there's a great song called Cosmic Shame. That Cosmic Shame is like this incredible. It's it's this amazing song, but it like it was really a huge motivator for sort of the the creating that that character of Poe and sort of that internal um, conflict that it's like a guy who you know wants to do something great but feels like he's afraid he's shitty at it and he's. Yeah he's going to be laughed at and humiliated. And that's what cosmic shame's about. So it's like, anyway, there was all this like really exciting stuff. But when I started working with Jack, I, I never wanted to mention any of that. Like I felt like it was crossing a line and I wanted to be professional and right. You didn't want to weird him out. Yeah. And so towards the end, it was the very last session, you know, I was on the movie for like three and a half years and at the very, very end, we had to do like a like a pickup session where it was like we were recording some ADR and it was like just a couple of things. And it, it was a really relaxed and the movie was done and everybody loved it. Like it was we knew it was going to be, you know, it was going to be 
we hoped it would do well, but everybody was really happy about the movie. Right. And so I felt like I was finally able to like say to him and I said, look, I, I need to reveal something to you. And I told him that I was like such a fan and I was such a huge fan of Tenacious D and that, you know, I told him about cosmic shame and like I told, and he just went, Oh, he goes, you're just, Oh, he goes, is this how you're going to, is this like the mark part of the marketing? Like, like, is this what the marketing team I think he was joking, but I also feel like, like I kept a lid on it, but I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. Like this is real. And I think he must've been joking. Cause it was like, I, I really wanted to like prove like how much I, um, <laughs> how much a fan I was at that yeah. point. And, um, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was weird. So I had successfully managed to play it cool so much so that he didn't even believe me when I, when I finally told him. But the, the best part of the story was um, I heard that uh, David Fincher had the rights to heavy metal and he was developing an a R-rated animated anthology movie that was going to be sort of a remake of heavy metal or like a reboot. Wow. It was all going to be different segments directed by different directors. And so I reached out to Fincher and I was like, I want to direct a segment, and I said, if you're going to make a, a reboot of heavy metal, you, I want to do a segment with Tenacious D doing the music, and I was like, I pitched out this whole like thing, and he was like, yeah, let's do it, and he was into it. So I went back to them, and I was like, okay, guys, and I, you know, pitched out to them that I wanted them, you know, I wanted to do something with them, and um, ultimately, they came back. Jack had an idea for a song, and they came back. They they ended up writing a song called death star and it's on their second album rise of the phoenix and like i i wasn't paying close enough attention the whole time but i they they invited me to like rehearsal sessions and i was freaking out and they invited me to um dave grohl did the drum track and it was like it was it was so surreal to to be there well dave grohl was uh, was was like recording the drum track for the song. Wow. Anyway, it was like amazing every step of the way. And then the first time they played it in concert was, um, it was downtown. Uh, I can't remember the name of the space, but they, they did a show and they debuted that song and it was like incredible and it was amazing. And then backstage, their manager was like, well, he said, uh, now you got your own tenacious D song. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. That's it was so like, cool. It was like, yeah, it was fucking amazing. And I remember they didn't want to call it Death Star because they didn't want to get sued. Right. And so I said, no, no, no. I said, just spell it as one word and spell it D-E-T-H-S-T-A-R-R. Yeah. Like, spell it differently. Yeah. And I think they did. I, they did. So oh, anyway, my so God. Yeah. Damn. I hope you get a credit on that. Writing cre- inspirational credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they thanked me in the liner notes. Oh, wow. Nice. That's so cool, man. Wow. That's incredible. But yeah, that, I mean, that had a happy ending, but like, you know, most of the time, like I just, I try to play it cool, but like with Jeff Bridges, I was really nervous. Yeah. Right. So that was on, um, that was on Little Prince. Yeah. Little Prince and. Yeah. That's big time. That's the dude. It's the dude. And like, yeah, he's, he's amazing. And like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his, but I was also like. I think when I first met him, we'd been trying to, I've been trying to get him, you know, I wanted to pitch the movie to him and, and I wanted to try to convince him to do the movie. And it was really hard to get to him. Like, I think we spent like nine months, like trying to get to him and it was, 
it was really difficult. So when we, I, and I couldn't think of who else I would, you know, have be the aviator besides him. Like I kind of had my heart set on it. So it was really, and so when I finally met him, yeah, there was so much pressure, but he was so nice and he was so relaxed. And I think you could tell I was nervous. Yeah. Um, but he put me at ease and I pitched the whole movie to him. I, I went to his house. They like bought me lunch and they like, we ordered lunch ahead of time. So when I got there, we were like sitting outside his beautiful, like house in Santa Barbara, like, you know, it was like, it was so surreal. And I was pitching him the whole movie and I was showing him all this artwork and showing him everything and explaining it. And we spent like two and a half hours together. It was, it was crazy. Wow. And, at the end of the session, he's like, oh, here, let me show you something. And he walked me around. There's like a little side house. And he walked me around and opened the door. And he said, this is my recording studio for my music. And and he showed me his studio. He has he had his own recording studio. And I was like, oh, wow. And he goes, yeah. He goes, maybe we could record here. And I was like, like, I almost like, <laughs> like, I remember just being like, Oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And it wasn't until later I was like, Oh wait, he, I think he wants to do it. Like it's actually like good news. Yeah. Um, but he had one of the headdresses from the big Lebowski, one of the bowling pin headdresses for the, uh. for the dancers was like sitting in the corner. Yeah. I was like losing it. It was wow. so surreal. Wow. So like, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, just like and every, every session I was nervous, but he was always so cool and generous and like friendly and like he he really is an extraordinary guy like yeah 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 he seems like a you know you never know but he seems like a more like a pretty down-to-earth like he's so mega famous but for people at that stature he seems like he's a pretty chill guy yeah he was definitely like he had tea every you know he always had like a tea. <laughs> i thought you were gonna say he had teeth for some reason <laughs> he, had teeth. <laughs> he had all his teeth he looked great no, but he he was like had sandals on, like sandals and socks, and like like I, I imagine him wearing a robe, but he was never wearing a robe. But but he was definitely like, and he was had his tea, and we had to finish every day. He walks up uh, to the mountain top above his house and looks at the sunset, and so we had to finish at a certain time every session so that he could have his like ritual and and uh, wow. yeah, he was he was yeah he was great. He was amazing. That's so cool. When you were like <clears throat> first kind of figuring out that you wanted to go into like creative field, filmmaking, what, whatever kind of got you into it, what were the expectations like? You know, did you ever think that you would, you know, be sitting with Jeff Bridges and, and hanging with Jack Black? And like, what, what were your expectations for your career at the front end of it? Yeah, no, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever imagined it. I mean, when I when I started to get really interested in animation and I kind of fell in love with like the idea of like I was always doing artistic stuff like painting and drawing and sculpting and like photography and Kent and I were making videos like we were making little movies and stuff. But I, I, and it wasn't until I started seeing all this really cool animation from all over the world. Um, there were these compilations of shorts called like the animation celebration was one and there was a thing called the British animation invasion and and i remember seeing like all all this stuff like really different stylistic um really um really personal work you know like i start and that that made me want to get into animation as as like a as a means of like storytelling and means of creating something and and expression and 
But this was also back before Shrek. Like Shrek was the first time that there was like stunt casting. You know what I mean? Like Shrek was the first time where there was an animated movie with like actors photos on the poster. I don't know if you remember like the Shrek poster had like Mike Myers photo. And I remember thinking like, well, that's oh, weird. Cause mm, that is you, don't even, you know, it was, and it was the first time that they were going celebrity. So I think in the early days, you know, it wasn't, I never, I never thought like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm, this is, this is, I could never imagine that that's where it would end up, you know? Right. Yeah, that's true. I never really thought about that before, but that's solely true. When we were kids, yeah. like when you go back and watch like, the old Disney movies, they don't have iconic stars in them. You don't know who it is. It's like iconic voice actors probably, but you don't know. Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, and maybe there were stars, but it was never utilized as a way to like, they made the animators. the stars. Yeah. I mean a little bit like slim Pickens, right? Wasn't he like the sheriff of Nottingham or something right. in the Robin? Right. So like little, like a little bit here and there, but not like the big stars. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to make, I wanted to make shorts. I think I wanted to make music videos because in the early days of MTV, I was like super inspired by the Peter Gabriel music videos like Sledgehammer. And like, I think that was my dream was just to make uh, cool stuff, like experimental kind of animation stuff. And so eventually I got more interested in, in doing features and my, I had friends that were working at DreamWorks and I went and I went and got a job at DreamWorks to try to like get more um, experience doing features and like I I seriously never really thought that I was going to end up directing a movie there or you know I wasn't quite sure what the future was but I just wanted to try to develop stuff and it was a really kind of interesting time because they were looking to cultivate talent within the studio but they were also bringing voices from outside the studio and so I was sort of one of the lucky few that was coming in from outside that they really liked my short films and they wanted me to you know just kind of bring my thoughts and my voice as a filmmaker but but what was crazy was like to go from making a short film with like no money with my friends and you know something that was a relatively like small scale thing and then all of a sudden I'm directing yeah Dustin Hoffman and Jack Black and you know it was it was a huge leap and uh yeah it was definitely uh I mean I would say by the time I was directing those guys I had already directed David Hasselhoff <laughs> so, so it was really a step down you're saying <laughs> there was some yeah. <laughs> but you yeah peaked, had, you peaked right off the bat yeah and Kent, Kent and I made a, a live action feature film called Dropping Out uh-huh. And that was he was the he was the lead in that. But we also like I you know I kind of got some experience working with like Fred Willard was in it, and um, yeah, it was just I don't know it was just like uh, these steps. When I look back at all these like steps, I I think there was a pretty big leap um, when I made Panda, sort of a big leap into this bigger world. And then you know the Little Prince was such an iconic book and such a big important. Uh, the, you know, work, the idea of adapting it, like we, we were able to go out to like the, the biggest um, names and the best talent to be able to draw like talent. And it was kind of an amazing scenario to, to, we were able to draft, like when I look at the cast list for little Prince, I'm still amazed. Uh, yeah. And, and um, yeah, just so lucky, fortunate, very fortunate to be able to work with like Ricky Gervais and like, Marion Cotillard and like everybody was so nice and like it was it was it was pretty extraordinary. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so rad. Wow. 
But yeah, I don't think I could have ever imagined it. Oh, actually, I was going to tell this actually is kind of the same uh, a little bit like talking about both things that we've been talking about. But when in Woodstock, when we were growing up, they came to town to film a movie called Ghost Story. Yeah, I, I know. I know that's filmed there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and and so it, which is an incredible book. That's a very spooky book. It's about shape shifting and stuff, like the spirits oh, shape shift. Yeah, it's terrifying. And and they they came into our town and like so we saw them filming it and we kind of got glimpses of the process of making a movie. And I remember as a kid, like you know they 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 had like um, plastic shavings for snow. And there was a scene where they were they basically created like a a snowstorm and, and they, there were plastic shavings. And I remember the plastic shavings were like, they were on the streets for like six months. I was going to say they're probably, they're probably still there. You could probably yeah. like, like, like when they, when the, when the, when the, when the, when the alien scientists come to like take, <laughs> take core samples, they'll be like, Hmm, this, there was a plastic snowstorm at this time of, the, of this time. Yeah. It's so confusing. And there was a there was a kid in my grade named Terry Chiaffi, and they put him in the movie. And they actually, when the movie was done, they they said it was a premiere. I don't think it was the premiere, but they they, they you know they they showed it in town, and everybody showed up to watch this movie. And I remember it was terrifying, like yeah. it's a horrifying movie. And um, uh, yeah, I think that that was another. I was thinking that was like a spooky thing yeah. to have like and it, and I just remember the the minute Terry Chaffee shows up on screen like I think he was like in a photograph like he was like a he played the one of the characters as a kid right and showed an old photo and I just remember everyone was like yeah like and was the whole movie literally shot there like were all the scenes like because isn't there like a car that like goes into the into a pond or something like that was that all done there I don't I think they must have shot around because I remember think yeah when I saw the movie it was definitely like Hey, this isn't just Woodstock. Right, like, right, right. It was a little ripped off, but um, but no, I think they did shoot it all around, and I'm not sure where they did the interiors. Yeah. Oh, but I remember there's the old guy comes running out. He's having a panic attack, and he comes running out of his house because he saw a ghost, and he runs out in the street and gets hit by a car, and or or no, he falls off the bridge and dies or something like. It's really traumatic, but but when he comes out of his house, it was my piano teacher's house. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So it was like, yeah, it was like, hey, <laughs> piano teacher's house in the middle of like the scary scene. Wow. But I think like I think Fred, Fred Astaire was in the movie, and like anyway, there were people I didn't really know, but like huge stars were in the movie, and they were in town, and they were there. But like even as a kid, like I didn't think like, oh, I want to make movies, or I want to, you know, like yeah, I didn't think about it at yeah. the time. It was weird. Yeah, that's another. Um, the Alfred Hitchcock shot. Uh, I think what's it called? The Trouble with Harry. That kind of comedic one where they're trying to figure out what to do with the body. That's shot in Craftsbury, which is like the next town over from here. Oh. And it's like a hilltop town, and uh, I guess that's why every everything's like painted white there. I guess they did that for the movie, and it kind of remained that way, which is a kind of another funny like New England because not a lot of movies are shot here. You know, most yeah. stuff is shot elsewhere. Because of obviously the weather, you know, the weather can change and is unpredictable. But yeah, that's so funny. Did you ever see Funny Farm? I don't know. What's that? That's Chevy Chase. Oh, okay. Maybe. And Kent talks about it a lot because he's kind of jokes that that's what he's doing. It's like a writer moves up to Vermont. Oh, okay. 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 And it's like. Like a great runner, a great runner throughout the movie is uh, like as soon as they get there, as soon as they move in, he's got this golden retriever and he and he opens the door and he says, you know, oh now you can, you know, like 
you can run free and the dog takes off and just goes for it just runs away (laughs) (laughs) and he's like it's like played as a gag like now his dog is gone yeah and it's like but throughout the movie, like all of a sudden in the background, the dog will just run through. Oh my god, that's such a funny gag. That's such a funny gag. Yeah, and it just like keeps going and going and going. But the dog is just like for months is just running around. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, but the very beginning of that that movie opens with like a the street sign. Like the very first thing you see is like a like a a beautiful landscape, and there's a street sign, and some kind of sign for a road. And you hear the sound of a chainsaw and then the sign falls down and then a head pops up into frame and it's the person who just, you know, chopped down the sign. Yeah. And the head that pops up in frame was a kid I went to, I went to, um, elementary school with. Oh my gosh. And it freaked me out when I saw the movie. Like I couldn't shake it. Yeah. This time. And it's just like a tiny little beat. It's not like he's a character in the movie, but. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Me, yeah. Recently, me and Athena. I can't remember what the movie's called. It's a. It's it's one done a couple of years ago by the Duplass brothers, and Kent is in it, but we didn't know he's in it. It's that one where they find the body in the backyard and they're trying to dig it up or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh wait, I haven't seen that. Yeah, we were we were just like randomly watching it on Netflix, and then Kent's in it, and we were like, yeah. you can't, you can't. It's a, it takes me so out of the movie, <laughs> and like he just has like maybe a couple lines, but he's like in this whole sequence of scenes and so i'm just staring at him like waiting for him to be kent and i'm just like I, it's just, it's so funny when you see people that you know in a yeah. movie it's dude great. you have to see have you seen school ties is that that one where he the serious one that he did yeah he was it was like brendan Fraser and uh no um, i haven't seen that oh my god you're gonna love it because it's the same thing because he's like in the background of a bunch of scenes <laughs> it just takes you out and cre- it breaks the illusion so hard you're just like oh my god i'm waiting for him to just make a joke yeah yeah oh yeah. my gosh school ties yeah put it on your queue school ties is it on netflix yeah i probably it's yeah it's it's i'll have it's, to i'll have to go super meta on it and watch them all with kent yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like, dude, it's you're that- so distract. Let's talk about how much you're distracting me from being in this movie because I know you and we're here together. <laughs> Do a like, a, the ca- like the a, cast is amazing. In that just movie. have all your own sets of directors' commentaries from like, like me, me and Kent doing directors' commentaries on every movie he's been in, just separate from yeah. the movie. It's just on like our our own stuff that you can get. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, oh, one, th- one thing that I wanted to ask you about was like, I'm always interested in how people choose to pick the projects that they want to work on. Like, what's your, how do you make decisions creatively in your life? How do you, how do you know what's right? What's wrong? What does, where you want to go next? You know, what, what next phase you want your career to have? Like, I'm always really fascinated about that. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's, um, it's challenging. You know, when I was back before I got into sort of doing features, um, I was really going word of mouth job to job. I was doing sort of like on air design work and I was doing smaller things. And so that was like, I was just doing whatever came along, you know, and I was not, I I wasn't necessarily being so picky. Just every job that came along, I would try to turn it into something cool or I would try to like make it into something that was more my own. I always like doing shorts because those are definitely more 
the shorts that I've made are very, very personal and kind of me just sort of working something out. Like they end up being sort of therapeutic. And, um, but when it comes to features, I mean, honestly, when I got, when I started working at, at DreamWorks and I was writing and developing stuff and I was kind of helping their development department with stuff. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I was trying to find stuff that I was inspired by, or I was trying to turn stuff into something that I can be inspired by. And I think that was, eventually when the opportunity to get involved in Kung Fu Panda came along, like it was actually a great kind of opportunity because it was something that I really felt like I could, I could do something with, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I really, I really felt like I, I could see a, a direction for it that could, that it really kind of felt personal in a way, like, but I felt like I could bring something to it. And I, you know, I think for me, that's what it is. It's like when I read scripts now, like sometimes I'm very clear, that something's not for me. Right. And so I'll, I'll read something and, and, um, like sometimes I can't even get through the first 10 pages or, you know, like I have to something, I got something that has to strike me. And usually it comes in the form of like, I'll look at something or I'll read something or it, you know, it'll just kind of hit me like what it could be. And so like with little Prince, like I initially I said no to it because I knew the book really well. And I just felt like, it's impo- it would be impossible to to make that book into a movie, and I really was like, "There's no way that this is going to work out, and I'm going to look like an idiot for trying to do this." And like, you know, I was I was like terrified, um, but like I couldn't once once someone asked, and and honestly, the question that was asked of me was, "Do you want to make the Little Prince into a big CG animated movie?" And I was just like, "No way." Yeah, and the more I thought about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like I once, once mm. the idea in my head, I couldn't stop. Like, and I saw it, like I started to think of it as a creative riddle to solve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I think those are always the most fun. Yeah. And I was like, there's a way to do this. Yeah. There, there, and, it, and it's not like there's only one way to approach it. Like there's, there's a way for me personally to approach it. And, you know, and, and, and so I, when I started to explore it in that way and I tried to like, not think about like, well, what would, I mean, honestly, I, there were times where I would sort of go, what would Miyazaki do? Or what would like Michelle Gondry do? Or, you know, like we try to sort of knock myself out of my, you know, try to sort of open up the creative process by kind of, you know, I don't know what you call it, but just like trying to brainstorm and trying to like, it took a while though. And but once I started down that road and once I came up with the idea that we could use computer animation to represent reality, like the fucked up, like satirical kind of reality, and then we could use stop motion animation to represent the poetry of the book, like that was a pretty killer idea. Now, that, where did that idea originate? Well, it was one of the ideas that I that made me feel like I could I could pursue it as a project. And honestly, I presented it back to the producers. And that was an idea that, you know, I presented back to the producers as a test. Like I was trying to test the boundaries and I wanted to see, like, I was like, if we're going to go down this road, I need to be able to have some creative freedom to do something special or try to do something special. And so I kind of presented back some big ideas to them. And that was one of them. Mm -hmm. And when they were excited about it and then I, then I sort of felt like, okay, maybe this could work. Yeah. But like, going back to like all the original animation that inspired me, like I was always really interested in like mixed media stuff, Mm -hmm. like the Peter Gabriel stuff. And like, I always loved it when there was, 
actually even like remember that aha music video where it was like live action and and hand-drawn animation and it was like it it, this is really surreal um kind of groundbreaking music video that was done by this guy who had gone to cal arts and it was like it was his own technique that he came up with and it was like a rotoscoping technique that he had Mm. done his student film and he they applied it to this music video idea anyway there was like I always, I guess, I was always tripped out by that kind of like mix, yeah, mixing different mediums, and so I don't know. Every basically everything I've done in some form or another mixes different kinds of mediums. So I guess it's always like a, it's a part of the creative process for me is just to think about how to make it unique instead yeah. of just using one tool set to try to kind of mix it up and use different tools to tell the story, but. Mm-hmm. And how how did you guys decide on doing using paper for the stop motion? Oh well, actually, so yeah, I mean, you, Anthony's amazing. Anthony Scott, who was the animator, and he's been on the, your podcast. Yeah, shout out to Anthony Scott. Anthony Scott, and uh, he's amazing. But he's, I got to know him because he worked a lot with um, Jamie Caleri, and Jamie Caleri is a is a filmmaker and director and like genius, genius, like. Um, stop motion guy or not he, he's just a genius like all around guy but he does he does incredible things in photography and 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 he I went to Cal Arts with him and I was really inspired by his work and he has always done really cool stuff with paper mm-hmm. and like he's in and there was a lot of times where he was doing just flat paper and then he started doing stuff which was more dimensional and I I think I was always I love the idea of using paper um, and in some fashion, but I, I could never imagine that we could actually use paper for everything until I saw Jamie and his partner was a, his production designer was a guy named Alex Uhas. They, um, co-directed a music video for the shins called rifle spiral. Mm-hmm. And, and they were using paper and they, it was the first time that they went and did puppets mm. and, I remember when I was still in the development stages of Little Prince and still trying to figure out what to do, I saw that video and that was that it, it blew my mind and I went back to them and I went back to to Jamie and just said, Look, can you help? Is there any way you can get involved? And he ended up uh, becoming the creative director of the stop motion sequences and ended up I think he ended up like building upon all of his previous work in paper and all of his previous work collaborating with Alex Uhas, who sort of had figured out all these different ways that they could use paper. And they kind of took it entirely to the next level. And like they, they explored the universe of paper and they even invented paper. Like they were making their own paper. And, but anyway, they, I, they just went so deep into the, into the process of trying to figure out like how to make this work that they they truly blew my mind when they came back and said we can use paper for everything you know yeah yeah um, but it was one of the it was one of the most important like links between in order for these two very different techniques the CG and the stop motion in order for them to live together in the same movie there had to be really important links between them and paper the t- idea of paper that you believe is real paper is is one of those links and yeah. it was very clear in the stop motion and in the CG side, the little girl is like holding these pieces of paper that we worked really hard to try to create something that felt visceral and felt real so that you would sort of combine the two and you would believe that she looked at the story and looked at this old paper and like imagined this whole world that kind of came out of that paper, you know, came out of that old yellow paper that the story was written on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a, 
it was a really innovative, really kind of special. And I remember the first time people started seeing the footage, you know, there were people like one executive was like, um, that's not stop motion. You know, that's something different. And we're like, no, that's (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the thing of that, that, that super strange mix of, of the, of, of the creative artist and the, and the, you know, the, the, the commercial executive trying to make this thing together. It's always so strange. I mean, I experienced that a little bit on uh, Cartoon Network, but I can't imagine when you're directing a movie, you must be so immersed in that. And then, of course, you know, you guys were able to have a happy ending, but you know, there was some there was some kind of technical stuff with uh, with the little prints that 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 tripped you guys up, and then uh, and then and then so that that was resolved happily, but then. I was interested in hearing if you were if you wanted to talk a little bit about the bone project that you were greenlit and 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 developing and then is not happening now. Well, I you know I would say I I really believe that it's going to happen at some point, mm-hmm. and I think just in the in the midst of it's for Jeff Smith who created Bone, you know, it's it's been a, a, an ongoing struggle since the beginning. I mean, he's always dreamed of it being a movie and in the very early stages he was um trying to do it independently and self-producing it oh wow um and when was that do you know when that was i would say 15 years ago maybe and and i don't know the exact timeline but but yeah it's 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 tough to talk about because i've been sort of uh, it's been sort of like um it's been under wraps and it's been sort of like secret for a while yeah and now it's at the point where there's still a little bit of uncertainty about like what's going to happen next. Right. But I can't give you I can give you some insight into the process. Like I, I after Kung Fu Panda, I approached Jeff and I heard that there was there was like re- renewed interest and in that Warner Brothers had the rights and they they wanted to make a movie. And Jeff was like trying to help figure out who would be the right person. And so I kind of pursued it at that point. But um they wanted to go make the movie in Australia and they wanted to use Australian tax credits. And that was like, there was a big movement. And so they hired an Australian director named PJ Hogan to write and direct it. And it kind of got away from me. And and then I went off and made little prints. And honestly, I was a little bit relieved at that point because I, I wasn't hundred percent sure I knew what to do with it. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was such a big Epic story and I really felt like it should be a trilogy. And it was like, there was a lot about it that I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And so when it kind of got away from me, I was, I was, I was a little bit like, well, you know, you know, if you love something, set it free, you know, that kind of thing. If it's maybe it'll come back to you. So, um, I would always kind of check in on it and then I went off and made little Prince, which was like the impossible adaptation, you know, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean a much more high profile project for sure. Like as far as, you know, a lot of comic people know what bone is, but you know, I mean, everyone in the world knows what the little Prince is. Well, it definitely was trying to do an adaptation of something that was like, and again, making the little prints, I couldn't just adapt the book. I had to adapt the phenomenon of the book. I had to adapt what the book has become over the course of 75 years in our world. And, you know, so it's like, but then after that was done, I, I started to realize, well, wait, now I've done this other crazy adaptation. Like maybe I could actually, um, Maybe I can look back at Bone and treat it like a, just a straight adaptation. And now it's just like, okay, well, what's 
what's the cool cinematic equivalent to what people love about the books. And so I approached Jeff again and I had heard that Dan Lin, uh, who produced the Lego movies was like really actively trying to, uh, find a way to make, make the movie. And so I jumped back in and threw my hat back in the ring and I went and met with Jeff again and we talked about it and met with Dan and, you know, kind of got the, kind of ramped into this like pitching process where I brought in the writer that I really wanted to work with this guy named Adam Klein. who was really awesome. And he didn't know the books at all. So he, he dove in and, and we basically cooked up a plan together where we wanted to, um, we wanted to pitch it as a trilogy and we wanted to get hired to write movie one, knowing that that would then open up the process to sort of develop everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, so Warner Brothers loved our pitch. They hired us to write the script. And we wrote what I thought was a pretty dynamite script. And Jeff really loved it. And like it really felt like it was the beginning. And it, for me, I just wanted to get a, a good enough script so that we could start boarding. And I knew the movie was going to live or die visually. And we had to like get it up on reels as soon as possible. And But people were really like into the script. It, they, they, they knew it was challenging because the story was so big and there's so much mythology and they, you know, there's definitely a lot of like trepidation and, uh, you know, um, but, but there was a huge, right after we turned the draft in, there was a huge change of leadership at Warner brothers mm. and that's always a bad sign. Yeah. I know that happened to cartoon network when I was yeah. there and that killed a lot of projects. So we started actively shopping it around. And at that point I had, I had a couple other projects in the works at Fox and so we shopped it around, and one of the places I took it was directly to Fox, directly to Stacy Snyder, who was a big fan of Little Prince. And um, she, along with Vanessa Morrison, who was running their you know animation division, like they jumped on it. They wanted it. So they basically started the process of negotiating. Anyway, long story short, whatever, nine months later, maybe you know we had like deals in place and everything was set and we were going to get started and and for some reason it wasn't starting mm-hmm. and we had, we had a major commitment. It was like a year of, I don't know how much money, but it was a solid year commitment, which was going to get us enough through like story reels and get us like, get us to the point where, where the movie was, you know, going to hopefully then roll right into production and something was wrong. Something wasn't for whatever reason. And it, part of the reason might've been that they had to write a big check to Warner brothers to buy the rights. Mm-hmm which they had negotiated and they knew the deal. They knew what the price was and they knew all this, but something was, so, something was slowing down and it, and it was sort of seeming weird. And then, um, they changed the leadership in the animation division. Oh God, it's so terrible. I know. And then right on the heels of changing leadership in the animation division, that was when the Fox merger was announced that Disney was buying Fox. Yeah. And all these things kind of like, created this sort of weird like perfect storm where all of a sudden it was like, Oh wait, 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 wait. The new leadership had probably something to do with this merger and all the, you know, everything started to get really kind of strange. And then all of a sudden it was like, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to do it. Yeah. We're not gonna get bone. And so ultimately I think it was too risky of a proposition because it was like starting a, they, they had a million reasons why, you know, that it was one movie of a trilogy. Um, and and also the fact that it was like a giant check being written to Warner Brothers that wasn't going to look so good on the books for the merger or whatever. Like right. there was like, and also if Disney buys Fox, does Disney want 
to be investing in this trilogy of movies where they don't own the underlying rights to the material and you know right so yeah unfortunately it kind of caused this sort of stall and then they i don't know it was really weird because then all of a sudden it was like warner brothers had the rights for 10 years and they were trying to develop it and i was sort of everyone was sort of starting to go well why is how come this has been never made into a movie like how come it took like 10 years like what's the problem what's wrong with it you know people started to do that like why are these studios like almost going to make it and then not make it and it's like and it's really bizarre so we went out and we shopped it around and it's really weird there's less buyers now because wow. of all the mergers and things yeah and um i do think we tried we talked about repositioning it instead of a trilogy of movies which is hard for a studio to bet to to commit to we started to talk about it as a miniseries of like ten, nine or 10 episodes. Right. Yeah. I was thinking it'd be, it yeah. sounds perfect for, you know, a, a Netflix or whatever series. Yeah. I mean, that would be incredible. So I, I think, I think there, there at the moment, there's no real, there, there's a lot of speculation of what could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it's uh, unfortunately it's a little hung up when I told Jeff Smith that it was, you know, I called him up and I said, it looks like, you know, it's not going to happen after I was like, it's such a sure thing, you know, and oh, God. Like, literally like my agent, like have you stop taking other, other phone calls and like, right, have right, you stop, right. like, you know, like I leased a car, like it was like, you know, <laughs> I needed to be getting to work on time. So I needed a you know new car. And, um, but anyway, so it was definitely a shock. And, but he just laughed. Jeff Smith was like laughing. He's like, ah, he goes, every year this happens. Wow. Every year for the last 10 years, this has happened. But so he still gets paid either way, right? Well, he's got a good attitude about it. I think he has always believed that he wanted it to be the right way. He right, never wanted right. it to, to go the wrong way. And that was one of the things I promised him. I said, like, I'm going to stick to my guns to do this the right way. And I'm going to fight the good fight. And that was why it was, I think, a really... I, you know, like Jeff doesn't want to make the movies, but I definitely only wanted to make the movie if he was approving of what I wanted to do. Like I needed to have that partnership in a way so that, you know, I said at the end of the day, I would say like, you don't want to make the Harry Potter movies and on opening day of your movie one have JK Rowling's on Twitter going, you know, don't go see this movie. Right, right, right. So I was like, it was really important, I think, to have Jeff be, a partner to it and also like if Jeff's going to be a fan of what I was trying to do then then I knew that I'm on the right road I mean that was what I learned going through the process of making Little Prince I said I didn't want to do it unless the family of Santa Exupery could embrace it and not only did they embrace it like they asked me to be an ambassador to the foundation the Santa Exupery Youth Foundation and they they've asked me to be an ambassador and they like they like were so gracious about it and so they like, they really loved it um, so anyway, that was the, so unfortunately yeah, there's a little bit of a hiccup in the, in the story of bone. So, but I'm you're sitting, still attached to the prod, like you're still hypothetically attached to the project. Well, I mean, the fact that Adam Klein and I wrote this kick-ass script that yeah. exists that I'm like so happy about, it was a challenge to create that script, mm-hmm. but I think the way forward there there are ways forward that don't involve that script and don't involve me i'm not sure i'm not sure what the future holds but right now it's definitely like uh, we're like a little bit like in limbo so i'm I'm, i've been actually needing to get in touch with jeff and to figure out like what the next steps are but it's definitely like a 
Yeah, it's weird. I pitched that. I pitched all. I've, I've been pitching all my projects around. I thought Netflix was going to go for it as a miniseries, but um, uh, Netflix actually got really excited about one of my other projects that I can't really talk about yet. But but um, so yeah, there's a there's a chance that I might be going down that road um, while I, while we figure out in the background what might happen with Bone. But yeah, right, Bone. right. And so with the Bone project, what style of animation did you picture it being in? Like, what were you thinking of? Well, I. I know there were diehards that said, oh, it has to be drawn animation. Uh-huh. And I wanted to find a way to do something unexpected. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with this idea that was going to be sort of – well, actually, no, it wasn't even my idea. Uh, Shannon Tindall, who was the creator of Kubo and the Who Strings, the original director and the guy that's the guy who made Kubo basically, <laughs> Shannon Tindall, he whispered in my ear, he loves Bone. And he was like – he said, you should do – um, CG characters and stop motion sets. So that's how and Kubo was. That's what that's what they did with Kubo. No, they did Kubo pretty straight stop motion. They used a lot of CG and they used a lot of of visual effects. Uh-huh. But he just he just whispered in my ear this thing that I could not get out of my head. Mm. And so I started to explore this idea that we could build sets like real physical sets and we could shoot real physical sets, but then do all the character animation in CG so that you could actually have these kind of very, very fluid, like real characters, believable characters in this like believably lit, like really real world, but it all had this sort of like really cool, heavily art directed kind of miniature feel. Wow. That sounds cool. Yeah. It was good. Ultimately it was a way to try to get back to Jeff's designs Mm -hmm. and try to get back to sort of the, the reveal the hand of the artist that's there so clearly in the comic so it, was, it would be a way to try to create that in an unexpected way with the way that the world would be art directed and designed. So it's a, I think there's a there's a chance that it's it's the right way to go and you know it just becomes a budget question it just becomes there's a lot of logistics that have to fall into place but also you have to find the right you know executives who get excited and bone what's really special about bone is what's really challenging about it it, it mixes comedy and drama and it's really high stakes and it's real there's a lot of real intensity but there's a lot of funny stuff so it's it's a weird mixture of things that makes it hard to categorize which ultimately makes it hard to write checks for you know yeah 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 i've read about half of it in when i was younger and now me and wolfie we got the big fat book and we've been reading it at bedtime and yeah it's it's so funny it just cracks me up it's so hilarious the the just the dialogue the dialogue of the rap people they're my favorite they're so fucking funny yeah oh dude uh so i'll give you an exclusive exclusive that's what we love around here um, in fact, I haven't even told Jack this yet or Kyle, but like, okay. So when Jack Black was in uh, Kung Fu Panda, we made, um, we p- made, uh, Kyle Gass a side character. And so Kyle Gass is actually, you know, the other half of Tenacious D is in, um, Kung Fu Panda as a little side character. But, um, uh, which was that was, I was determined. Um, and, uh, we also even put Lee uh, the third uh, unofficial, now official member of Tenacious D, who's a character named Lee. We put him in there, too. Anyway, um, I wanted to figure out a way to put Jack and Kyle in. And I don't know if, it, if again, this will ever happen, but we uh, made the two rat creatures, the stupid, stupid rat creatures, like the sort of the main uh, dumb rat creatures. 
um, I want to voice. I want to have them voiced by Jack and Kyle. Oh my and god, so that would be so funny. We actually named the script because they didn't have names in the books. We named them Blackie and Kyle. Oh my gosh! And did, the were they on board with it? Did you did you shoot it by them? I never shot it by them because I wanted like I was wanted to wait until it was official. Yeah, and yeah, when totally. it never became you know when it never became official, I, I so I haven't had the opportunity. Are um, they fans of the book? I don't know, but okay. I, like like I said, I've been kind of keeping it in my back pocket. Yeah. But hopefully I can, uh, at some point, I will be able to reveal to them that that's my hopes and dreams. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, who else did you have in mind? Like, did you already have it kind of cast out in your head? You must have been thinking of, uh, of who would be good. Well, yeah, I mean, in the Dreamcast, like, there's always – that's what's kind of great about animation is, like, you can come up with your Dreamcast – um, and you actually have a pretty good chance of getting your Dreamcast, you yeah. know, because it's not a lot of work. Right. It's not a huge commitment. And they know? don't have to look so, like the um, characters either. Yeah, and, and 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 in the end, it's like, like Jack always said, he loved it because he could just roll in and is, you know, he doesn't have to. You don't have to get ready. Yeah, you, can you just come into makeup. Yeah, you don't have to do yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I had. I think my dream was to have. Uh, uh, Michael Sarah as Phone Bone. Oh my gosh! And Paul Rudd as Smiley Bone. Oh man! And Seth Rogen as Phony Bone. Oh really? So that yeah, that's a great direction. I love that. Yeah, it was really like just trying to you know, um, and then I think my favorite idea though was um, cat uh um, no oh uh no 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 um. I'm so bad at names. I'm so bad at names. Um, I I know. Um, Roseanne to to play Grandma Ben. No, no. Roseanne is Grandma Ben. Perfect. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. No, it's um, uh, to have um, what? I can't believe I'm blanking on it. Uh. I'm even looking. I'm like, where is she in here? Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand has grandma back. Oh, that would be really good. That would definitely be really good. Yeah. But anyway. Who would be uh, the dragon? Did you have an idea for the dragon? Uh, Idris Alba. Oh, that would be perfect. Oh, that's so good. I love that. And, and what about Ron- the spooky guy? Who's that The yeah. spooky robe guy? Um, we didn't cast... Uh, no ideas there because yeah. it's that's a that's a tough one for a bunch of reasons. But Ron Perlman as King Doc. The oh big. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, those guys look so cool. I love King Doc. Those, the designs are so cool. I love how simple the drawings are. They're so expressive. It really is already animated in so many ways when you look at it. It's it's so expressive. It's so simple. And uh, and it's so the contrast. You know, from a visual artist perspective, like. It's it's so simple, but there's so much described there, and 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 there's such little drawing in a lot of ways. It's like incredible. A lot of those panels are so simple, but they're so elegant, and you're just looking at the acting of the characters and stuff. Yeah. There's not there's there's even no background in tons of the panels and stuff. It's like, yeah, man, he's a master. Yeah, just so good that that and 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 the yeah, just that contrast is so visually pleasing. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really quite amazing when you really start looking at it too. And, and you know, we started to a little bit to say like, okay, what's the best way to try to translate this? And I think um, 
you know, it's a huge challenge. But Jeff, Jeff was such a good draftsman yeah. that I think what you're describing to me was like one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to realize the characters in CG was because I really feel like you you have a sense of them as being fully fully um, uh, rendered. Motion, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, he's so he's amazing how he can draw them from every angle and they're mm-hmm. so expressive. And so I really wanted to try to capture that, you know. But yeah, he's a, he's such an, an, an incredible artist. Like I I still it blows my mind like I, of of how he inks. Uh, how he actually does the ink work, you know, like it's one of those things that I just, I don't have the, the steady hand or the, the, the draftsman skills or anything to do anything close to that. So I'm always amazed by by that. Yeah. 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 It almost reminds me, I mean, his is much cleaner, but that like, yeah, where, where the, where the person just can do so much with it, like Bill Watterson too, for Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> like the line itself is like so pleasing to look at. And it's like, that's, like he would even Bill Watterson, which blows my mind. He would just rough in the characters and then just do that all with the brush. And you're just like, my God, I could never because I'll I'll do my drawings pretty tight before I ink them. And to imagine getting that perfect and loose, like loose expression in the brushwork, but still have it just be perfect is just I I can't imagine that level of technical ability. It's so good. Well, I love your stuff because I, I feel like the, the like your style, like there's such a charm. I mean, honestly, like learning, like hearing more and more about your history and your philosophy and your like the like listening to the podcast and getting to know you and like like I feel like there's such a great. Clearly, your art is coming from a really pure place, and yeah. I just, I feel like the way I don't know the way you create and the way you you. You're, you're, it's such a marriage of like your skill and your style and your personality. But anyway, I think you, I, I love your stuff. It's so, uh, your whole, your whole package is very, um, inspiring. Yeah, I know. It's funny. It is, it is really like, it is, I've, I've always strove to eliminate the lines between like my life and my work. So I think that makes sense in some weird way. Like I, I do feel like, uh yeah i'm always just my my the 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 more i make my work like it just it, absolute personal expression the stronger it is the more people react to it um and the, and the, and it almost like it almost lets me be more myself too like i think yeah. i think it was like me like expressing my weird sensibilities in my work and then people reacting to that like 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 made me be like oh so I can be like just a like a weird person too like I can just like I was always like this but like yeah. it just it just made me like oh yeah why why would I not be like this you know it's like my work yeah. really gave me the freedom to uh unlock the creativity in my life which I think is really cool you know it might it might work the reverse for some people but yeah it was really the drawing stuff that made me be like oh I'm going to be a character in my own life like I want to yes. be I want to be like a wacky wacky character and not like I'm like going outside myself to do it but just really the opposite going deep and deep and deep inside to like that absolute personal expression and figuring out the way that I can just enjoy that and live it the most and I think that's what real you know artistry and creativity is you know it's like it, you know and and that's where you get the best ideas is when you're living in that creative space that's why I like living in the woods so much is because I really feel like I'm living in an illustration and yeah. like my mind is always like, like I live in a very surreal world and I'm mostly just up on this hilltop all the time. You know, I'm here 90% of the time. So I really do just let go of a lot of that, like other reality that I think constitutes most people's, 
you know, perception of the world. And then I like, I like to just dabble in that super out there, deep water, uh, ethereal existence. To me, that's just what makes the most sense. It's so weird, but I love it. Did you ever have, did you ever do a job that like, did you ever have like a, a crisis moment where you were doing something for pay for somebody that you didn't like what you were doing or that you like, you know what I mean? Was that part of your, never as art, never as art. No. I mean, ever, cause ever since I left college, like college is like where I figured it out, you know? And I was like, Oh man, I like, I'm in charge of my life now. I get to call the shots and I'm going to like, just have fun and do what I love. And I never did anything Thanks. but that. Um, but you know, I mean, I definitely like all through high school and then I had like, I mean, I've had, I've had jobs since I was like 14 or whatever. I had a paper route and I worked at KB Toys in the mall and I worked at the hardware store. So like I was like, you know, as a teenager, I worked a lot of jobs that I was like not good at and like always just still like a punk ass and like getting fired. And like, you know, so, <laughs> so there was cl very clear that like that was not going to work, you know, like, but I never wanted it to either. I was just like, fuck this shit, but I need it. You know, it's like growing up in my family like my, my parents are both like frugal social workers so I was like I want a beeper and they're like okay get a job you know like it, I right. wasn't gonna have anything of my own unless I got a job so like you know I did it because I had to do it and and I'm glad I did because I think that work ethic had a lot to do with like me being like shit man I gotta figure this out you know I gotta like I gotta like make myself into something and like and like work hard enough to pull it off you know so like there was definitely ingredients early on but yeah luckily by the time i i think because i struggled so much as a teenager and like you know it's been detailed in depth on the podcast and i told you about you know breaking my feet and you know i was it was institutionalized and you know my parents had me all medicated up and i realized like man, this is just like these, these the, taking these pills is not going to solve my problem. I need to figure my shit out. And then going to college is really where everything started to click. And when I was in charge, like I said, and I was just like, there's once I, once I had, it's like, it's like, it's like basically I had been riding in a buggy my whole life. And then all of a sudden I was on the horse and I was like, I'm never going back. Like I'm never yeah. getting off this horse. No one's ever going to tell me where to go with this horse. Like it was like, I was, I didn't care if I rode it off a cliff which I did, of course, jump off a cliff and break my feet. But like, you know, like I, I didn't care if I was going to destroy myself in the process. It, that to me was a better outcome than like trying to fit into a world that like didn't interest me. You know, like the mainstream reality just like is so not interesting to me and so unimaginative and full of so many stupid ideas and like and just full of so many people that clearly aren't happy doing what they do and living their life. And like, you know, I recognized that early on and that was my big that was my big crisis struggle like i've really i worked it's weird it's weird i like i my identity crisis peaked when i was like 16 and ever since you know i was like by the time i was 19 i was i was well on my path that i'm on now you know and i mean i've definitely like you know had to mature you know i've definitely been through constant maturing processes like you know having kids and 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 moving here and doing all you know i've definitely matured a ton in the in the six years we've been here um, so I've, I've definitely been evolving, but yeah, I've, I never really like whatever existential stuff I had to work out was worked out really early on with me, which is kind of strange, I guess. And uh, you went to Pratt. Yeah, we, yeah, I went to Pratt. Yeah. And that was just, I had a great time there. You know, I, yeah. I, I that was just like, yeah, like I said, I mean, I thought I wanted to live in the city forever at that point. I was like, I was ready to get out of new England. Cause like my parents were living in the suburbs then and I didn't really didn't like it. Um, and, uh, and I went just the opposite way and, and lived in Brooklyn. But then 
that sort of brought me full circle after four years of that i was like oh you know what i want to get back in the woods you know i want to go back to new england i want to get back i started feeling that intuition because like that's what i was asking about the about the decision making process because with me it's like if i make a decision based on anything other than intuition it's not going to go well for me and like you know it's gonna be 50 50 with intuition either way you know it too but but that is the only way my decision making process is really completely intuitive so uh yeah just just started to hear that calling to come back and then once i was back in new hampshire started to hear that calling to go further back and, and really get rural with it. And I built my first cabin on my cousin's property and then really realized, like, had that aha moment, like, okay, I need to, like, live in the deep forest because that's where my imagination originates from, like, growing up in, in rural western Massachusetts. And, like, that's where my superpowers, like, come from. And I need to, like, I need to get really back into that. And and, and that's going to be the full circle. That was, like, that was, like, the final process of, like, me really realizing who I wanted to be and getting that, getting that back to the, back to the woods. And then like the homesteading piece of it, um, you know, that, that was the, that was the, that was that, that was that realization. Um, and then well, I think uh, that's, that's what was so inspiring about coming up to Ken's place and knowing that Ken's like kind of starting this new chapter of his life. Yeah. And, and like, I, Vermont is so like amazing just for the fact that there's no billboards and yeah. there, and it feels so different. And, and, I actually got kind of depressed when I got back because it was just, it was like being like in this sort of, it, it's such a different place. And yeah, when you I almost go home, back in time, you almost go back yeah. in time when you get here. Cause it is a lot less of a, even less than New Hampshire, which is basically the same state. It's like a rectangle. that's like diagonally cut, you know, di- cut yeah. diagonally. But New Hampshire has such a different vibe because they've just developed it a lot more. You know, they do have those billboards. They have tons more strip malls, tons more malls, tons more just like corporate development, you know, and, and you just, you have a lot less of that here. I mean, if you want to go see that, I mean, you go to Williston outside of Burlington and they have like, you know, they have the Walmart and the development there. And I guess there's maybe one other one over in Berlin or whatever, but there's so much less of that. And there's just so much more woods and, and also like just the mentality of people here. There's a lot more do it yourself people and still, still really an agricultural economy, you know, which, which is not true about a lot of places anymore. So yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's totally magical and fantastical. And, and I think the world is always like, I think reality is just pure magic and, and mainstream, mainstream reality is like, I think existence is pure magic and mainstream reality is constantly trying to sell people on the fact that like magic doesn't exist. Like life is very cut and dry. It's very straightforward. You just want to, you know, accumulate wealth and accumulate material possessions and relax and, and drink alcohol and all these things, you know, but really it's so magical. And like how you just even the thoughts in your head every day as you're in the world and the environment that you're in and the, and the, and the activities that you're doing and the friendships you have, the amount of fun you're having every day. I feel like that's the portal to unlocking all that magic and getting to play with it and shape it and stuff. So, you know, that's why it's a no brainer. You know, everybody thought it was insane when adventure times, adventure time started to blow up. And then I was just like out of there, you know, cause that was just yeah. the right timing for me. Cause I had already had this property and that's really what was my mission going out out there um 
But yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, it's a no brainer. I just can't create that world for myself there. And here it's here. I live it every day here. I forget that there's a world outside, you know, it's like, yeah. it's just so magical. And, and to me, that's the number one priority. It's like that magical quality of life is the most important thing for me as a human. Yeah. Well, I was driving around up there looking at, you know, whenever I saw a for sale sign on some building, I'd be like, Can I build a little animation studio now? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, you know? dude. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. This will just be, this is the beginning. And then ten, we yeah. were, me and Kent, because we were joking, we're riding bikes around every day and stuff. And then we were like, yeah, a few years, there'll be 10 of us riding around on our bikes. And we're going <laughs> to, we're going to start to take over the town, you know, people work in all the shops and we were starting to make all these funny funny wild wild country parallel jokes and stuff like that so but yeah man it's the best you know i think that's what you got to do in life and you know really just figure out what makes you the most happy strip everything away and just like if i didn't have any responsibilities if i didn't have any expectations on me what makes me the most happy what would i just love to do every day and then build it out from there you know and 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 i'm lucky that i was able to kind of have that insight and then have the work ethic to kind of like push myself forward and then have all those other kind of like magical, you know, the universe meeting me halfway on that journey and all these little spots and, you know, having, you know, being able to have the opportunities that I've been given and stuff is, you know, it's, it's for everybody, as you know, it's such a journey, but I'm so happy that, you know, I was able to kind of put it together for myself because I think for a lot of people, it's just even really hard to, to answer that first question. What do I really want to do? You know, that's a, that's a hard one for a lot of people, which seems very strange that you could go through school and education and all this stuff for at least 18 years of your life. And nobody ever really says like, if you didn't have anything, if, if this world melted away, what would you like to do? You know? And yeah, this is insanity to me. <laughs> cool. Well, we got an hour and a half in the books here, and uh, I got to go get Wolfie up the hill as usual at the end of the podcast. So, um, uh, do you have any other any any parting thoughts for the audience here? Um, no, just to you and to your lovely family, and tell Wolfie hi. And I just think it's amazing what you what you've created there and the the environment the welcoming environment and you guys are just so generous with your like not you know not only your your property but just like your whole world that you invite people into so anyway i'm really um you're 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 definitely uh an inspiration and so thanks for that and i i think you 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 affect so many people and you're you're doing such you know great stuff uh like just personally but just sort of how you're radiating out is really uh amazing so uh i just say thanks awesome well you're part of the family you know you're you're, you've been at camp uh and we'll we'll get you back and obviously now you're gonna have uh, another big reason to to hang out on the road here and you know there's gonna be so many i love it there's this this, always there's just new chapters evolving in this story you know it's so cool and and i'm so glad that uh that you know we're we're growing closer and you know me and kent are you know hanging out all the time and it's just it's so fun you know I, i really think that's how it should be every year of your life should just get richer and richer and more fun and more opportunities and all that i think that's you know obviously there's natural ups and downs and you always have different shit you know your car dies and all this fucking shit but you know overall you know you really want things to be headed in a glorious direction so i'm glad that you are also part of that it's awesome yeah i'll be up there in a few weeks oh cool oh so you're coming back pretty soon 
Yeah, come back uh, with our dad. So you're gonna you're gonna meet the elder. Oh, nice full circle. All right, awesome. Well, yeah, we'll have to get an Osbro's podcast going on. We'll have to make yeah. up for that. Uh, for that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank we'll, you we'll, for we'll, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get around the campfire and do the official Osbro's podcast, and uh, yeah, that'll be super fun. I love that Kent said when you said Osbro's. You're like, you guys didn't have that. I was like, no, we didn't have that. You're like, oh. <laughs> you can have that. I'll give that to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that seems so obvious to me, but that's awesome. I am good with the nicknames. That's one thing that the G.I. Joe's yeah. instilled in me that everyone, there should be multiplicity of nicknames and code names for everybody. And that's as soon as I started the Ghost Scouts, I knew every it was all about giving names <laughs> out to everybody and all that. And it, it brings me no end of pleasure, the all the wacky uh, names that have evolved from this uh, from this whole adventure. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll click off and uh, and and wrap it up. But uh, you can say goodbye to the audience. All right. Thanks, man. See you All soon. Right. All right. Ooh, boy, that is another top shelf episode of the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast. Big shout out to Mark Osborne for jumping up on this podcast and just getting us hyped up this week, you know what I'm saying, to to follow your goals, to to create that vision of your future, to sit down and go, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to be about? What do I want to do every day? You know, what interests me the most? What is most personal to me? What is most nostalgic to me? You know, because that's how you get to where you want to go in life, you know, and th- this is just such I love jumping on this podcast and 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 talking to my creative friends and and we all have these different random things in common with each other from our childhoods and our experience in the careers and all this stuff is so funny and it just really goes to show exactly what we talk about on this podcast every week. You have more in common with every single person on this planet than you have in conflict with them. So don't believe that mainstream media hype. You know what I'm saying? We are all about spreading these positive, productive messages to have a fucking everybody out there pursuing their goals, creating a meaningful life for themselves so that they can recognize that they are better off inspiring the people around them, uplifting the people around them than they are trying to shout them down, focus on the shit that they have uh, uh, in conflict with each other. You know, I could I could I could find some shit that I didn't have in common with Mark and Kent and every single person that's ever come on this podcast and argue with them about it. But we could also talk about the shit we have in common and our experiences and laughing about shit and being ridiculous and 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 wanting to inspire the people listening to this podcast and then it takes a whole different direction. You know what I'm saying? So much of our mainstream reality is about creating those artificial conflicts. And that's really what I think most of it is. I think people feed into that and create real conflicts out of artificial conflicts. And I'm going to say, fuck that shit. You know what I'm saying? Let's push it in that positive realm. You know, so follow your goals this week. Plan it out. What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do the next day to get a little bit closer to that dream life, you know, you don't have to get there all at once, you know, you're working a job, you got this, you got that, you got a little way to go, that's no problem, you know, because when you're on the path to living your dream life, you are already living your dream life because you're getting inside of it, you know, so set those little goals during the week, a few little goals accomplished during the week, and then all of a sudden, each month, you're getting closer, and each year, you're making leaps and bounds, you know, that's how you get somewhere, You know, none of us got there overnight. It's all about 
that incremental progress and doing the things that are going to keep you engaged and excited to be thrilled to put into to put in the work to make it happen you know because everything is hard work i always tell people no matter what you pick in your life it's going to be hard work but do you want to enjoy that work or not you know what i'm saying because trust me you want to enjoy it you want to be fulfilled by following your passions in life we are all creative animals living in this infinite universe together so hey let's try to have a good time and make everybody you know a little bit better off a little bit more hyped you know, a little bit more connected. What the fuck are we even talking about? Let's get these shout outs in before we get to the two hour mark on this podcast. But it was worth it. This was a juicy ass episode. I fucking love it. Oh, sometimes I just wake up into my reality and go, damn, this shit is dope as fuck. You know what I'm saying? It's so fucking dope. Oh, I love it. Um, what else? Uh, did we go over everything? I think so. You got to pursue those goals. You got to help other people pursue their goals. And we got to get to these sh- 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 shout outs. So if you listen to this podcast on a weekly basis, you know, show us some love. Show this podcast some love and hit up that Patreon and and and, and support the podcast. Get some early access, get some shout outs, get in on this behind the foreskin action that is just so juicy, documenting whatever I'm working on, whatever shit's going on in the woods here. The Ghost Scout Summit was a fucking blowout, and you can see all about it. Some of the funniest shit that's ever been put up. Uh, we were fucking eating bugs last week and uh, fucking going out in the pond. Kent was half naked in the pond in fucking middle of the night, breaking his bones. We had a fucking rowdy old blast. Um, so uh, so check that out. Patreon.com slash ghost shrimp. And let's keep this shit rolling strong, you know? Shout out to the new members. Um, shout out to all the $1 contributors to this podcast. Uh, super appreciated. Um, it, every freaking dollar counts for real. And uh, at the $2 level, you get yourself a shout out. But some people go above and beyond. So coming in at that straight $5 level, we got Johan Elverby. Big Beefs 2 shout out going to you. And of course, these are the people that supported the last episode of the podcast. You know, you want to get a shout out on every episode of the podcast? Support every episode. Otherwise, you'll just hear yourself on the ones that you did support because people like to skip around. You know what I'm saying? But just to avoid the confusion, uh, we got another $5 contributor, Yvonne Santiago. Big shout outs. Thank you. Much respect. Uh oh, we got the girl from the 12 week online group workshop. Not the girl, there's been many girls. Big shout out to my girl, Sarah Ball. What other podcast do you know that gives actual shout outs? They're actually shouting your shit out, right? Uh, at the $3 level, we got Zeta. Shout outs, much respect. Uh, my homie, alumni, <laughs> Ghost Scout. <laughs> My friend, Raphael Tang Hall, fellow proud alumni, I should say, my homie from school. 
Uh, big shout out to Daniel Foothead, aka Ghost Scout Sports Magic. Free Foothead, you know what I'm saying? Donald Trump wouldn't let him into the country. Free Foothead, free Foothead. Let's get those shirts going around. Uh, he's going to reapply and try to come back and, and get in on this residency that he was supposed to have. Right now, the homie Max Wilkins is up there. Uh, he's going to do a scout residency, a, a camp residency hybrid. And uh, he's settling it up there right now. Very psyched about that. The scouting season is in full effect. It is on like some foreskin. You know what I'm saying? Big shout out to Uncle Terry. Big shout out to none other than the guest himself, Mark Osborne. I love the roster we got up on this shit. Big shout out to the reigning defending Ghost Scout Training Camp Year 6 Camp Champion, John Mansfield, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Beard Lips. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Lermy, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Computer Person. She was just here for the summit. Love this creative family that we got here. Another workshopper, Johnny Glines, the boy from the workshop. Uh, way out in Denmark, we got Try Man Hunt. Big shout outs. Uh, we got another workshopper, Alexi Giroux. Big beefs do shout out to you, Alexi Giroux. Alessi Jerry. Uh, big shout out going to Arguably Art. Big shout out to, in Maine, to the, <laughs> why do I always forget it? The Norway Brewing Co. Company. The Norway Brewing Company. Erica Mahos. Still don't know if I'm saying it right or wrong. Never tell me. Uh, just kidding. Tell me if you want to. Big shout out to brother of the guests, two-time Emmy Award-winning writer, Kent Osborne. Maybe he can hear the shout-outs because he lives right up the motherfucking road now. Uh-oh, big shout-out to Anthony Scott. Shouted out on this podcast. Uh, your favorite stop motion animator, as well as mine and Mark's. Uh, big shout out to Waste Zoid. Get yourself some beefs too, my friend. Uh, big shout out to one of my favorite comic book artists, the homie Jesse Moynihan. Support his Patreon, because I do. Uh, big shout out to Shumbe, Shumbe, Shumbe. The homie, we've met in real life before, the first person to come through the podcast and meet me in real life. Did we kiss? You'll never know, and we don't remember. Big shout out to Chris Murray, the homie from the workshop. Uh-oh, big shout out to Bark the Dog. That's B-A-R-C. Uh, you know the homie's getting busy. We got some, you got to check out Bark the Dog if you do not already know. And we're cooking up some very exclusive shit. Some crossover Bark the Dog Go Shrimp exclusives for Go Scout Training Camp. You're not going to believe it. I want to announce it right now. But I'm not going to. We're going to save it. That's a teaser. That's a teaser 
But let me tell you, it's going to be juicy. A uh, big shout out to Michael Broncado. Big shout out to Ryan Sims. Uh, big shout out to Chris Wynn, who I think has departed from the podcast. Thanks for your support. Shout outs to you. Uh, Big shout out to Steve Winfield Meyer. A podcast so nice, we even shout you out on your way out. You know what I'm saying? We appreciate the support. Uh, get yourself some beef stew, Gerard Jones. Gerard Jones. <laughs> Oh, man. Big shout out to Spook Novel. You really have to enunciate some of these shout outs. Uh, Big shout out to Khalil Fry. (laughs) Big shout out to Jesse Donnie. That's an easy one. Uh, Big shout out to Curse Gift. Big shout out to Alejandro Fuentes. Uh, big shout out to Eric. No, big, big shout out to Alec Wright. And last but not least, big shout out to Ethan. <laughs> big shout out to Ethan Worthington. Oh my God. I don't know why I'm so giggly on this podcast. What's up, buddy? What are you doing down there? You creeping on the podcast? Wolf Bandit, ladies and gentlemen, creeping on the podcast. What do you think, buddy? How are you doing? Can you hear me shouting from everywhere? Yeah. Does dad have a loud voice? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're just reminding everybody to follow their goals, to... Be excited and have fun every day, right? Figure out what you want to do the most and try to do that as often as you can, right? Watch out. Don't mash on those posters. If you get a mashed poster, it's because Wolfie's mashing and thrashing on these posters. Uh, So make sure y'all have a positive week and a productive week, you know what I'm saying? And me and Wolf Bandit will say, peace out. Say, peace out. Peace out. All right, good.